Welcome back, everyone, to Spill the Murder. Last time we were here, um, we did the last part of the five-parter series of Suspect from Wandering. They pronounce it Wandering, and it's Wandering. Because Wandering doesn't have a U in it, but it has an, it's spelled W-O-N-D, if I'm not mistaken. Um... And then R Y Wandry. It's kind of like he's saying laundry, like Brian Laundry. It's what it's Wondry. <laughs> but the way they pronounce it on their podcast platform, it's pronounced Wandry, like laundry. Because I don't know if you listen to um, OTC, which is True Crime Obsessed, or. TLC, sorry, TLC, True Crime Obsessed podcast, they're fucking hilarious because um, Patrick Hines and um, Jillian Pentavelli, they're fucking funny. Anyway, um, because Jillian Pentavelli from the TLC podcast, not TLC, T-O-C podcast, she pronounces it, pronounces Brian, um, um, Laundry's last name, Laundry, Brian Laundry, and then Patrick makes fun of her name, like fun of how she pronounces it, like fun of like how you she's like how do you spell it again, like all the time like, and it's like Laundry, Laundry she says and then she's then he spells it out, and then um they make jokes but it's it's all fun and games with them, but anyway um. Yes, so at the end of that episode, I let you guys listen to the trailer to Amber. So, let me give you a little backstory. Let me give you a little bit of a backstory. Well done. Let me give you a little backstory on this um, girl, okay? Okay, so let me find it. Okay, so it's from, this is from, I, I got this from, uh, from People's dot some from not people's but people magazine but people.com slash crime slash texas um dash girls dash abduction dash inspired dash amber dash alert dash 26 number 26 not the word 26 dash years dash later dash case dash remains dash unsolved slash So, okay, I know I said at the end of the episode that um, we're going to listen to the documentary of Amber. So, if you guys don't know, if you guys don't have the iOS iPhones, or in general, we'll get, you guys get, like, alerts 
on your phone and it says Amber Alert, child missing, child abduction, child kidnapped, you know, and those are from this case, which is an actual true case in the late 90s, which is late 95, late 1995, not 19, not 1895, because that's a long time ago. That's like, whew, a lot of years, but, um, it happened in 1996 um, in Texas State, in Arlington. So, the title of the People.com website says, Texas Girl Abduction Inspired Life-Saving Amber Alert by 26 Years Later. Her own case remains still unsolved. Which is so long. It's been forever. Um, since it's 2023 and it was 1986. It's like four, five, six, seven, 27 years now. It's 27 years because this article came out 2022. This came out on January 13th, 2022. Now it's been 27 years since her case still remains unsolved. We so, on this article, it states, on the day of, in 1996, five months, five months within that year, Amber Hangerman, Hangerman was snatched off her pink bicycle in Arlington, Texas, and forced into a black pickup truck, because even in the late 19s, 90s, everyone, and even now, still has pickup trucks, whether it was black, blue, fucking, fucking red purple, pink, we all, they all had pickup trucks, because, again, it's a southern state, so, might as well get a fucking big old truck, said I had to do that, but her body was found four days, no, well, it said on the documentary that it was found, her body was found five days, five days later, in a river stream, so, on um, January 13, 1996, nine-year-old Amber Hangerman was riding her pink bicycle beside her younger brother, Ricky Hangerman, in a parking lot of an abandoned Winn-Dixie grocery store. Ricky decided to pedal back to his grandparents' Arlington, Texas home. But before Amber could join him, a man driving a black pickup truck snatched her off her bicycle, put her inside the driver's side door, and took off. An elderly man who witnessed abduction from her backyard from his backyard, told police that he, um, he saw the, the 1980s or 90s truck parked earlier at the nearby laundromat before the assailant drove up, kidnapped Amber, and drove towards the center of Arlington away from the nearby Highway 360. Okay, so I'm going to stop there because there's more to read on, but I'm going to stop right here because I'm going to say something because being that the witness said that he was parked near a laundromat, that earlier that day where the kids were playing by the abandoned um when Dixie grocery store that goes to show you that he was waiting until a he or she was waiting for a good mom, moment in time for she was alone so he could abduct her so there will be no witnesses and he won't he or she won't have to murder anyone in the process you know cuz that's what I'm not saying that I would have done, but anybody with a smart sense would have done an, an, an attempted abduction of a child. 
They would have waited to a good moment until that child was by themselves and nobody was looking. Like, they would wait beside somewhere in a certain place and wait. That's what I would have done. But, anyway. um, But then, after that, he backed away after kidnapping Amber because she told her brother. This is going to be said in the documentary as well. He told She told her brother because he told her, like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back home, okay, to her grandparents. And she said, okay, I'll be right behind you. So then after when he was there, her, her, their grandfather was doing something in the garage, mending things in the garage. And he was like, where's your sister? Where's your sister? Because he was the younger brother. And Ricky was the younger brother. And Amber was the older sister. So uh, she, um, then he looked back. Ricky was like, um, she said she was going to be right behind me. So then the grandfather took the brother. And put him in his own pickup truck. Drove down to the area of the Winnie, the Win, Dixie grocery store. And Amber was nowhere near. Her pink bike was abandoned and knocked over to the side. Anyway, four days later, a man walking his dog found her body near a creek. This is from People's Ma- Magazine, but People's website. About four miles from the parking lot where she was taken. Police believe the suspect who had described was a white, was as white, was as a white or Hispanic male in his twenties or thirties, under six feet, with dark hair, was a local. Based on the direction of travel, while they left the Winnie Dixie, and then based on her body being found in Arlington, being abducted in Arlington, and just being in that spot, the question has always been: Does someone have a connection? With that area where the abduction was, the Arlington Police Sergeant Grant Gilden tells people in this week's issue. It's a very secluded area where her body was found. We do believe that we have to be somewhat familiar with that area to know where that creek is, he says. Was there a connection with that location? And was it someone who had a reason for turning back to the center of the town. The thought has always been that easiest has been that the easiest way to get out of the area would have been to go to Highway 360. Amber's murder set anguish and anger throughout the community and beyond. Texas mom Diana Simon can't stop thinking about how a kidnapper snatched Amber and escaped without a trace. I said, I can't get over this child. There has to be something we can do, Simon tells people. There were weather and civic duty alerts, so why wouldn't they do it for this? Simon called the local radio station with her idea of an emergency system that would be set up so that when a 911 call was placed, radio stations would immediately interrupt programming to broadcast the alert. 14 days later, after Amber's abduction, she wrote a letter to the station requesting that if her alert system was put into place, it would be known as Amber's plan. The plan renamed the AMBER, A-M-B-E-R, a big acronym, America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response alert. That's why it's called AMBER, but also because based on this case too, not because of the acronym. 
But now you guys know what the acronym stands for, for AMBER ALERTS. Again, the AMBER ALERT word, the AMBER acronym, is America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response Alert. But ALERT is not part of the acronym. It's not part of it, because then it will be AMBERIA. But ALERT is separate from it. So it will be AMBER ALERT was put into place that same year. Today, AMBER ALERTS are used in all 50 states, the the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and 33 countries. To date, they have saved at least 1,085 children in the U.S., according to the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children. Without the people, without people caring and willing to participate, I don't care how good of an idea it is. It would have gone nowhere, says Simon. It is the goodness in the hearts of people who care that are making the difference. Shockingly, despite the, the, the far-reaching impact of Amber's case, despite over 70,000 tips, 7,000 tips, sorry, correction, I said 70,000, but that's a lot of tips if it was 70,000, but 7,000 tips, her killer remains at large 27 years now, not 26, 27 years now. We continue to have leads, says Gildan. There were, there are still several leads that we continue to investigate extensively as possible suspects. A lot of people who refer to Amber's case as what's commonly referred to as a cold case. But the Arlington Police Department, it has never been listed as a cold case because we have never gone 180 days without having some leads come in. Police are hopeful that recent advancements in DNA testing being used on evidence collected in Amber's case, as well as new tips from the, from the public, will finally solve it. I remain optimistic that this case will be solved, says Gildan. Who believes that the killer is still alive? I do believe there's definitely someone out there who has answers that we're looking for and can help lead us to the right direction. So that's why we continue to work on it. Our goal has always remained the same, and that's to catch who did this and be able to prosecute them. Amber was just a sweet, innocent child, and that's the memory we got hold we got to hold on to as we investigate, he says. That this is someone who has been doing something as innocent as riding a bicycle, and evil found her that day. If anyone has information to her case, anyone, whether that be from um, in Texas at that time period in the late 19, 1990s, in 1996 specifically, please call the, Ar- the Arlington Police number at 800, not 800, but 817-575-8823. Again, the phone number for the Ar- Arlington Police is at 817-575. 8823 or you can call crime stoppers of Tarrant County at 817 469 capital 
word tips. T-I-P-S. And in parentheses, 8477. Again, for the Crime Stoppers of Tarrant County, it's 817. Again, 817 dash 469 dash capital word words and letters tips t-i-p-s in parentheses 8477 okay give me a moment to pop up the documentary of amber the history of amber alert so you guys can listen to it and hear the devastating story after the fact that i let you guys listen to me talk about it for a brief 16 minutes. Get back to that breaking news. We start with breaking news. We're an Amber Alert. There is an Amber Alert. Before the Amber Alert, there was Amber. In August 1995, a news crew in Arlington, Texas, began filming a local family. Well, my daughter worries a lot, but I told her everything will be okay. Then, on January 13, 1996, daughter worries a lot, but I told her everything will be okay. Then on January We feel that this tentatively is going to be the body of Amber Hagerman. After decades of investigation, the suspect was familiar with not only the abduction site, but the disposal site as well. We followed thousands of leads. What's your name again? Not just hundreds, but thousands. I believe the mystery remained unsolved. There are people out there who know what happened. It would mean a lot to be able to give Donna and Ricky the answer to who killed Amber. But Amber, but Amber's legacy lives on. This is an activation of the Amber Alert system. Every time I hear an Amber Alert, I say to myself, it's time to go to work, sis. Do your thing. Everybody knows the Amber Alert. I want the world to know who Amber was.
Arlington, Texas. I believe this will be my last interview. I'm tired of being sad. I'm broken because my daughter's not here. Normally, I don't have a lot of this out. I normally keep it in plastic totes just to keep it safe, not to get torn up or anything. Everybody knows the Amber Alert and what it's used for. I want the world to know. Um, the mother of Amber Hankerman is Donna Williams. The woman that you're hearing right now is Donna Williams, the mother of Amber. And what she's talking about right now is just evidence of her daughter going missing, evidence of her clothing in general, of what she wore when she was alive. Like, not wore when she was alive, but wore when before she went missing. Like, wore, you know what I mean? But, like, wore, like, on her birthday, on her ninth birthday, because she was nine years old. And, um, wore years ago. Basically, vulnerable memories that she had with her daughter when she was a young, very, more younger age. Amber was... She was my dream. She was my everything. This dress here is uh, Amber's dress that she wore on her ninth birthday. And I just couldn't seem to give it away. Special memories and happy memories for Amber. Did you ever think it would take this long? No, no, never, ever. I just assumed that he would get caught real quick and it would be done and over with, but it didn't happen that way. So. We started shooting video with Donna, Amber, and Ricky in August of 1995. There are probably between 200 and 300 tapes and hundreds of hours of video. I don't know that I have a good answer as to why I've held on to him for 25 years. He's watching this. I think that when you look back in your life, there are a few life-changing moments for 25 years. Okay, the woman that's talking right now is the woman that interviewed... Donna Williams, her daughter Amber, well not really interviewed, but recorded them in their lifestyle. For her brother Ricky, her young brother Ricky, for Amber, and Amber and her mom. And her name is Pam Curry. So that woman is talking and she's talking about um, holding on to 200 to 300 recorded, recorded videotapes of Amber, her younger brother, and... Her mother, Donna. And so, she's saying, like, why am I holding on to these for 300 years? I don't know why. But I'm glad I did. Because if not, then... But she was the a documentary producer because she was producing a documentary for Welfare of Women. So it made perfect sense at the time because... They'll explain it, but... Um, she was in a 
Donna Williams, the mother of Amber, was in an abusive relationship with their father. But they'll explain more in depth what happened between the two. But he was more involved with the Amber case, you'll find out. I'm not Southern, I'm just doing it for the case. FYI. Ears. I think that when you look back in your life, there are a few life-changing moments. I already knew that this was one of them. The fact that we had her alive and people could see her, usually that doesn't happen in a tragedy like this. Then we become an important aspect of that story in deciding whether we were going to release some of the footage that we had, which was exclusive footage. August 1985, the first day of filming. Five months before Amber is abducted. children and I was on welfare they asked me if I wanted to be in the documentary the documentary is about how women get off welfare hey, mommy see Amber oh you're gonna have to color that that's pretty look happy Halloween when's Halloween do you know when Halloween is what's that um October 31st okay you? well they found me at a women's shelter a lot of us who were working moms felt like that we weren't doing enough stories about what families were facing and how to make things better. We wanted to have someone who fit the national profile, which was a single mom with two children. And it was really hard to find somebody who was willing to do that and willing to share their lives. And I was just about to give up when I got a call from one of my contacts who said, I think I have somebody for you. I had to think about it for a little bit, but maybe I could help other moms in the same situation I was in and get them on their feet like I was getting, trying to get on my feet. When I was 18, I found out I was pregnant. I was terrified and scared. I waited till she was born then, and I seen her pretty little face, and that's Amber. I thought Amber was a really pretty name, and it just fit her pretty little face. How did you meet Amber's father, Richard? I just did a lot of walking in the neighborhood with my friends, my girlfriends, and he was out in the yard, and we just started talking, and the next thing I knew, we were together. Of course, he was a lot older than me. He was like 34, basically grew up with him. Then four years later, I got pregnant with Ricky. It was wonderful, it was awesome. Amber said, this is my baby, Mommy. I said, okay, it could be your baby. So she just kind of put her baby brother under her wing, and that's where he stayed. I was living with their father until Amber was about seven. Ricky was about two, three. That's when he really started drinking a lot. Her father was physically abusive to me. He never abused my children. He was just really mean when he was drinking. 
he used to go out and hang out with his friends, Mike Thompson, and they would party and drink together. And then he'll come home or he'll drink more and get drunk more. So the neighbors would always call the police because of the noise, and the police will always come. And the police, the, the last time, the police said, if I, we come back here again, we will take your children from you. And that's all I had to hear. You want some fruit, Richard? You want some fruit? I knew my kids need to be safe. And I just took personal things and just left and never went back. And we stayed in my car for, for like two days in the parking lot. I couldn't go to my parents because he would find us there. And so we just kind of hid out in my car for two days. And then we went to the women's shelter and stayed there for about six weeks. And they helped me get an apartment and get on welfare and help me get back on my feet. We were still scared, and every little sound or every little door knock, we would jump to the ceiling because we didn't know if he found out where we stayed at or whatever. And it took almost a good year before we could actually live life again and be happy again. Nine months after moving into their apartment, Donna begins filming with Pam. They're having a skating party for school, and that's going to be $3 a piece. I can't do that. So they're a little upset about that, you know. Tell them we'll save money, and next time you can go. You always have such a positive attitude. No matter how much money you've got in your pocket, you always tell me you're not worried. It'll be okay. Yeah. How do you do that? It's depressing sometimes, but I try not to show it, especially in front of my kids. I don't want them to worry. Again, this documentary, not the documentary you're hearing now, but the documentary in the documentary of women in welfare, it's particularly Donna in welfare, based on her living situation with her children. Um, this was filmed in 1986 and 1995, both times at a time. And the woman that you heard asking her that question, like, how do you go through that? Like, how do you deal with that and say, like, um, okay, I'm fine. Like, she, that's, um, that's Pam Curry talking. And then, again, she was the producer of the documentary and... This was 1996. And her voice is a little different. a little more older. Right now in the documentary. It's more kind of hoarse. A little bit. Or deeper. I was going to school. I was volunteering at the food stamp office. And my kids were going to school. And they were happy. That's actually asking a lot for somebody to be that open with us and to share all the hurdles, the ups and downs and frustrations and the trials and tribulations that they go to for people to have a better understanding of what being in that situation is like. And so it was a journey that I couldn't have predicted. I couldn't have known what would happen. My daughter worries a lot. She thinks we're going to run out of money, don't have no money for this or that. But I told her everything will be okay. We'll never starve. We'll always eat. Richard tried so many times for me to come back and move back in with him. And 
I no, I cannot because I know what's gonna happen. If I do that, you'll just go right back to the way you were. Slowly, I let Richard come back into the kids' lives because that that is our father, and like it or not, that's I had to for my kids. Amber is still a little leery of him. She is still a little scared that maybe he will get drunk again. But eventually, that kind of faded away as well. And they were okay together. Then he went back to the man's house. He knocked on the door. Must November 25th, 1995. Two months before Amber is abducted. Happy her ninth birthday. She had all her friends who had birthday cake and ice cream. Make a wish you blow that baby. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. She was just bright-eyed and wide-eyed and mouth open like, yay. Oh, she's Donna's motivation was that she wanted to make things better for her kids. She was very open with us and we were part of their family for months and you know <laughs> felt like they were just part of mine too. <laughs> She's funny little girl. She's takes after her grandpa with that. Um, she always wants to be silly. A very smart, fun loving little girl. Hey, taking them climbing tree and stuff. I guess that's what they Donna takes her kids to visit her parents, Jimmy and Glenda Watson. <coughs> Sorry, the dog's barking. Saturday is our family day, so we decided we want to go to the castle park, and we played there for a couple <coughs> hours. And then they wanted to come back here to Granny and Papa's house. It was really nice, warm winter days. It were gorgeous days, sunshine in, and everybody was out and about. They decided they want to ride their bicycles, and I told them this would be fine. And so once we got here, they <coughs> ran up to the driveway and said hi to their papa. This was precisely at 3 p.m., just so you know. Timeline was 3 p.m. They got on their bicycles and went towards Claudia Street. Being the little brother, I'm gonna follow her wherever she goes. We would always. That this right here that's talking, this male voice that you hear, is Ricky Hangerman, the brother, the younger brother of Amber Hangerman. Ride our bikes around the neighborhood, and we did it very often, so I memorized the neighborhood. And I hollered at him, so we all stay together, and y'all come right back. And Amber turns around and she looks at me, okay, mommy, we will. And that was my last time seeing her or hearing her little voice. Arlington, 911, what are you reporting? 
Again, January 13th, 1996, on a Saturday at 3 p.m. Arlington, Texas. That day, we went to visit our grandparents. And uh, every time we go there, we, we ride our bikes. We would always ride around the block and come back around to Highland. But that day, we took a left where we weren't supposed to go. We went to a uh, abandoned parking lot. They have a little uh, ramp that we can ride down. We were not allowed to go into that parking lot without someone with us. But, you know, kids, we don't always listen, so. Something came over me. I got afraid to get in trouble. So uh, I was telling my sister, Amber, let's, let's go back home. Let's go back home. She's like, I'll be right behind you, just go ahead. So I took off. By the time I got home, I noticed she wasn't behind me. And my grandfather was outside in the garage working. He asked me where my sister was. So I told him, oh, she's over there at the ramps. He uh, grabbed me and put me in the truck and we went to go look for her. We just found her bike laying there. And uh, that's where it kind of gets a little hazy. Okay, January 13, 1996, 3 18 p.m. Arlington 911, what are you reporting? Yeah, I saw a black pickup pull up over here from Highland Street. He grabbed the little girl and he took off toward the. Okay, so you hear the 911 operator saying, Arlington 911, what's your, what's your emergency or what are you reporting? Um, the caller was a witness to a black pickup truck saying, yeah, I saw a black pickup truck pull over here at Abraham Street. And he grabbed a little girl and took off toward town with her. And he says, furthermore, what kind of truck was he in? in? Looked like kind of like a Ford. And it was a black one. He didn't bother the bike that she was on. He just grabbed her and took off. She hollered real loud, like hollered, lands and yelled. She, like they heard like a screaming sort of sound. So she hollered real loud. Because that's what the southern folks say. Because um, I hear it plumbed over there. Like made a plumb sound as she got picked up from the back. And so... That's what made me think that there was something foul about it. And then the operator says, okay, we'll be out there shortly, sir. And the caller was like, okay. There was a witness to this. His name is Jimmy Kevill. He was 78 years old. He lived there on Ruth Street. He described the suspect. Okay, the male that's talking is Sergeant Mark Thompson. As a... From the Arlington Police. Non-African-American male, less than six feet tall, with medium build, and clearly of sufficient strength that he... 
there was a witness to this. His name is Jimmy Kimmel. He was 78 years old. He lived there on Ruth Street. He described the suspect as a non-African-American male, less than six feet tall, with medium build, and clearly of sufficient strength that he was able to pick Amber up off of the bicycle. Amber's feet never hit the ground. Kevin also said that he just drove at what appeared to be a normal speed across the parking lot. The patrol officer pulled into the parking lot because that's where Jimmy Kevel said that the offense took place. But as it turns out, Jimmy Whitson was there. He's come up there to get his granddaughter, Amber, and there's nothing there but Amber's bicycle. So you've got what Jimmy Kevel told 911, and you've got what Jimmy Whitson told the patrol officer. The patrol officer realizes that we've got a problem here. Okay, correction. I said Watson. It's Whitson. Sorry. Because W-H-I-T-S-O-N. So again, it's spelled W-H-I-T-S-O-N. So it's Whitson. Correction. Jimmy Whitson, the grandfather of Amber Hanger Man. Hanger Man is Jimmy Whitson. started running and screaming her name and going towards where she was last seen at. I was just screaming and crying and screaming and crying her name, Amber, Amber, where are you? You know, and a few minutes later, the neighbors were coming outside wanting to know what was going on. So Donna, the mother of Amber, is crying hysterically, saying, Richard, if you're there, please come to Mama's. Someone has kidnapped Amber. I immediately called Amber's father at his best friend, Mike Thompson's home. I'm at home on a Saturday. It was my day off, and the telephone rang. I'm at home on a Saturday. It was my day off, and the telephone rang, and it was dispatch. There was a possible child. Abduction. Okay, the man that's talking right now is Richard Simmons. He's another sergeant on the case. Hold on a second. Sergeant of what? <laughs> Sorry, my bad. On a Saturday, it was my day off, and the telephone rang, and it was dispatch. There was a 
of start of again in the Arlington Police Richard Simmons 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 I can't pronounce it. It's Mike S M S I M O N D S again last name S I M O N D S Mike Sim Simmons Simmons. <laughs> Sorry, my dogs are barking in the back. Just ignore them. Quiet. See? They're barking. Child abduction on East Abram Street in Arlington. My mind just goes into overdrive. Is there a family member that's come and picked up the child? Is there a custody issue? Is it... Uh, someone that's known to the child that has come and, and taken them. That used to be a grocery store, and the trucks would pull in and uh, back in. they deliver into the grocery store, and then, of course, the ramp was for the workers to go up and down. Mr. Kevill lived in this residence right here. He was in the backyard doing some yard work, and then he heard a young girl scream. He noticed the pickup truck stopped right there in that area. The driver get out of the truck and grabbed the girl off her bicycle. He exited out the north side of the parking lot and then turned to the west. The interesting So, hold on. Oh, hold on a second. I'll explain in a minute. So you heard the detective or Sergeant Mike at the uh, at the time of the crime that he's explaining the witnesses statement um literally literally by literally I'm trying to explain it <laughs> he's doing it kind of like by the book uh, I'm basically saying he did it by the book because um the witness was in a was in his house doing yard work and the witness was literally down the block from, not down the block, but you know, from, like I said, the Winnie, the Winnie grocery store um, parking lot, the abandoned one. Yeah. That, if you walk from there, from uh, from that place where Amber was, and then you walk down, turn the corner up to your left, if you turn the corner to your left, then walk up. That's the witness's house. So then he saw the man, the medium built, less than six feet tall, not African American, skin toned, male, in a black Ford tr- truck, pickup truck, pick up Amber and put him in his car. And then drove off, which is the opposite direction of the witness. Walking more straight, because if you pass the Winnie grocery store up more, then you turn to your, you turn, you make a turn signal to your left. And there's Highway 360, and that's to get out. And that's what the detective is trying to say. So if you drive more in the more in the direction opposite of the witness, which is more straight, then 
you drive more straight and it's a long way, then you make a left turn signal. And then that's when you get to Highway 360. It's a lot to explain, but yeah, it's a lot to explain, but that's only if you live in a Texas area and that you know, and plus it's in the Peacock, um, it's in the Peacock thing, it's in the Peacock uh, episode or documentary video, so even shows it. It tells you it, and this is 19 minutes into the to this um, documentary series. This documentary, and this documentary is not a series. Sorry, it's a documentary because it's an hour and 32 minutes and 12 seconds. So anyway, back to the episode. Exited down the north side of the parking lot and then turned to the west. The interesting thing about going back to the west is it's back toward town and it's more congested. Speculation was that there was a specific place back to the west. If he was from out of town, I think he would have gone to the east and accessed off the 360 to I-30 or I-20. I got a call from my husband and he said, Donna's looking for you. She says she needs your help. So I called her Jimmy and Glenda's house, the grandparents' house, and I said, Donna, what's going on? She goes, Amber's been taken. And my heart just sunk. I said, okay, I will be right there. My main focus was to find my baby. I wanted to go look for her. I wanted to go, but my parents were saying, no, you have to stay here. You need to be here if she comes home. Not too long after that, Richard showed up my mother's house. There's a lot of things moving in the first 15 minutes of the investigation. At the abduction site, one of the things you do is you take stock and look around to see what all is there, and also specifically what isn't there. Where that truck was sitting, if there was any dirt that would hold a tire impression, if the guy had smoked a cigarette or anything, there was none of that. We looked around the area and we noticed that there was a laundromat there and that there were people coming and going from the laundromat. On the west side of the laundromat, which is where she was abducted from, there are no windows. So no one in the laundromat could see anything that was going on. Jimmy Kellogg, by far, where he was standing, gave the best vantage point. There's no sense in everybody sitting around that parking lot because she's not there. Once the call went out over the radio that we had a child that had been abducted, I started. Okay, hold on. Let me wait now. Once the call went out over the radio. This was Ben Lopez from the Arlington Police of 1996. Yo, that we had a child that had been abducted. I started going all over the area looking for the suspect vehicle which was a black single cab pickup truck. I did pull over a few black pickup trucks in hopes that I would be able to find the suspect and find Amber. In Texas, pickup trucks are everywhere. Black pickup trucks, you don't really realize how many of them there are until you start looking for them. 
They're everywhere. It helps narrow things down, but not much. When you look at that area of town, as you go to west on Abel Street, there's a number of places where you can get off, either into a residential neighborhood on the south side or one of these light industrial areas on the north side. The Browning-Abram area of Arlington, Texas, it's an area of town where people have owned their homes sometimes for 30, 40, 50 years. And so you have a very established group of people that are living there. I would not describe it as a high crime area or a high risk area necessarily. This type of abduction in Arlington is almost unheard of problem creates for law enforcement is you've got to be able to get it off the ground in a rapid but deliberate manner. There's not much room for error here. So I got there and I started going under the tape and of course the police were like, what are you doing? They had to go ask Donna. She goes, no, I want her to come in. And they were all looking at each other. Why is this reporter just walking into the house like she knows these people? But I did. I, I knew them. I'd been living their lives with them. We just kept documenting what was happening and being with the family and really showing their side of the story. On that day, when all the police were involved, everyone was asking me, did you see anything? Did you see anybody? It's very important that, you know, if you did see anybody, anything, just, you know, tell me so we can do something about it. I didn't have an answer. I didn't see anybody. If we had only been able to get that word out immediately, then maybe somebody on that street where he turned would have seen him immediately and we could have found her. Still same date. January 13, 1996. I was in Texas at 4.30 p.m. Amber was abducted at about 3.20 in the afternoon. Somewhere around 4.30, the police department contacted the various media outlets trying to get them there. But what I truly wish is that there would have been a method that we could have got more information out faster. This is D. Anderson. He's from the Arlington Police Media Relations from 1996. January 13th, even for Texas, that's not common. It was unseasonably warm. And I remember being at home and got a call. They said we had a witness saw a girl get abducted. I said, I'm on my way. I drove down the streets of this little residential neighborhood. This is Deanna Boyd. This, uh, I can't even, okay. The Fort, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram from 1996. And I could already see all these TV vans just lined up. And I remember thinking, oh my God, this is what they mean when they say media circus. Statistics show that in 74%. This is Dina. Oh, sorry. This is Joanne. Dun, 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 I can't even pronounce it right. It's Donna. Donna Nellen. Donna Nellen. She is a FM 
our producer of America's Most Wanted. Of the cases where an abducted child is murdered. So I'm going to rewind that. Statistics show that in 74% of the cases where an abducted child is murdered, they're killed within the first three hours. So time is of the essence. And getting that information out, you know, to the public is just critical. This was the 90s. The fastest way that you were going to get out information would be the 6 o'clock news. And so, of course, there was a lag time. It doesn't sound like someone that the little girl knew or someone that she was going with voluntarily. We set up a command post out by the residence at her grandparents' house. The media was responding, huge response. I mean, every station, as far as they could get, had live trucks there. One of the things we were doing is we're trying to keep track of who was coming to the house, who was coming to the door, who knew Donna, Richard, and the family, and what their relationship was. The police were asking me, you know, who's in my in our circle, you know, who's around us, who's around Amber all the time, who's around Ricky all the time. And so that's when we thought about Pam, and I was telling them about Pam Curry in the documentary. This is, this is my first grade. We had footage of this little girl alive, not some grainy picture that we were going to slap up. And back then, that's what you did in a tragic news story like this. That's all the family had to rely on is to throw up a still picture. We put together a clip reel of some of the best identifiable footage that I had from shooting the documentary. It was heart-wrenching, the video was. I mean, it was her blowing out the candles on her birthday cake. It was her mom putting her to bed. It was her playing Ring Around the Rosie out in the yard with her friends at her birthday party. It was her going to school. I mean, it made her such a person. I read um, 89 books. 89? Uh -huh. I immediately thought, oh my God, this is it. Someone saw that on TV and that she was targeted. You know, they, they'd seen her on TV. And they said, none of it's air. Not one bit of it's air. On the day that Amber was kidnapped, we had finished the welfare documentary. And it was going to be airing the next week. Fairy stories. I mean, this just touched everyone's heart. And I thought, this is the absolute best break we could possibly get because everyone's going to remember this. I won't say it threw us, but it was something that was, was highly unusual. We'd never been on a case where something already had the television crew following them around, taking footage of it. Already had the television crew following I won't say it threw us, but it was something that was, was highly unusual. We'd never been on a case with something I already had, the television crew following them around, taking footage of it. And we used that footage not only to try and, and give people an idea of what Amber looked like, but also the idea of who Amber was. Having the footage of Amber really showed the community the person they needed to track down if they see the black pickup truck and here's what she looks like and in her mannerisms that made a tremendous impact 
on the community. Eventually, there were just cameras everywhere. Everywhere I turned, there was a camera in my face. Don't hurt my baby, please. She's an innocent child, please. Please bring her home safe, please. If anybody out there has seen anything, Call the police, tell them. That man that you hear is Richard Hangerman, the father of Amber Hangerman. Let him know. I was on every camera I could find, begging, please, let my little girl go. You know, she's smart. She could find her way home. Just let her go. I didn't eat, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't do anything but watch the TV, beg for him to let her come back home. Just wait for her to come in the door any minute now. She's gone. It was just a lot of sitting and waiting and just gut-wrenching. It was a helplessness, a hopeful still, but she couldn't do anything but just be there. What started out as a welfare documentary that was really focused on Donna and Amber and Ricky turned into a real true crime documentary. We started getting tips and leads on Amber's abduction almost immediately. As soon as it Again, this is Ben Lopez, Arlington Patrol, from 1996. It hit the news. People started calling in with leads. <clears throat> What's your name again? We never anticipated the number of leads and calls from the general public that we were going to get. And then they were also talking to anybody who they considered to be you know, involved with the family, which included me and my photographers. The people from the television affiliate, they had quite a bit of footage of her. And of course, one of the things you've got to do in the investigation is find out who they are. Because at that particular time, everybody is a suspect. It was still a little intimidating that you had to go through that, but you wanted to do what you could to help. We identified who they were and interviewed several of them. There was no question in our mind that who they took had nothing to do with that, with that television crew. This was January 14th, 1996 now. Day two of her... Sorry, day two of Amber Hankerman being missing. This is Demi Kevill, the witness who called 911. That's talking. That's all we got to live on right now, it's very... I have a five-year-old and a 20-month-old, and I just, I can't imagine it. I think she's probably really, really scared. You know, I'm just sitting, just sitting tight. I don't know what to do. You know, I want to help, but I, I want to go get her, but I can't get her. You know, I don't know where she's at. Prior to Amber's abduction, when is the last time that you had seen Richard? Do you remember? Yeah, it was, I think, in like two or three weeks prior to but we didn't get along at that time, so we did mostly just phone conversations. 
met Richard that night when Amber was kidnapped, it was a little bit of a tense situation because he didn't know what I was doing. He was a little leery of that, as I'm sure anybody would be, but we just kept doing what we'd been doing for so many months. When they were doing the documentary, apparently Donna had indicated that she'd been in an abusive relationship. How were things going? No, I, no, it, it wasn't abusive. You know, I may have yelled, I mean, I may have yelled in the past, but my dad yelled at me and yelled at my mom. And that's two people trying to work something out. One of the things that is critical in the opening phases of the investigation is to try and establish the family dynamics. Amber's gone, but we don't know who took her. Richard, you know, at the time we were battling and we were not getting along and he was angry with me for leaving him. Nowadays standards, an argument is, is violence and that's not, to me, that's not true. An argument's an argument. All of these investigative things come into play. It's not a very kind world to live in the dad's out of the picture where was he who does he know have to just suspect anything and everything at that point we're both innocent i mean there's no reason for us to harm our child we want our child back we want our child found Friends and family continue to post notices and seek clues in the... We're both innocent. I mean, there's no reason for us to harm our child. We want our child back. We want our child found. Okay, now this is now day three of her missing. So, it's January 15, 1996. Friends and family continue to post notices and seek clues in the search for Amber. And we're more upset because there's nothing we can do. Nobody knows anything. That's the thing. We can't do anything. We don't know where to look. To day three, we did not have an individual identified. Of course, in any investigation like this, you start to call and work out. Less than 1% of child abduction cases in the United States are stranger abductions. Children who are taken by someone that they do not know. The majority of the cases in this country are family abductions. We're trying to identify Richard's movements for January the 13th. He told us that in the afternoon that he was down at the mini warehouse going to one of the stalls. And we got him on surveillance video not a care in the world, no idea that anything amiss had happened. But we went down to the mini warehouse and searched it anyway. And of course, there was nothing there. So without a doubt, we were able to eliminate Richard as a suspect because of him being on video at another location. And he physically could not have been at the location to abduct his daughter. For a split second, I did think Richard might have had something to do with it. Once Richard got there, when I seen him up face to face and how much shock he was in that Amber was taken and how confused he was, you know, how can this happen? And I knew right then and there that he had nothing to do with it. I will say this for him, that when he was interviewed, uh, he barely sold. I mean, he just, anything we asked, he told us. Because he didn't want us wasting time on that. And the best way to get away from that 
you know, to tell us anything and everything we need to know. Amber, baby, if, if you see me, if you hear daddy, we love you. Mama loves you. Miss you. We need you. Once you come home. I remember thinking that that must have been so hard for her, given theirs had not been, from what she told me, an amicable parting. And so I think she just kept focused on what needed to be done, and she didn't really let any of that get in her way. I did love him at one point, and he is the father of my two children. I think he knew in his mind that he, he should be there, and he should help support me and Vicki. It's very typical for law enforcement to immediately interview the family after a child abduction case and then quickly eliminate them and then work on other people that may have had some sort of interaction with the child. Oh, yeah. I want to show you something. Even though you have every indication, at least initially, that this was a stranger abduction, it doesn't mean that you can just walk away from other potential leads. One of the other things that we look at is the friends of the family. In this case, there was a man named Mike Thompson. There were people that immediately voiced suspicion about him when they heard what had happened, that there might be some involvement there. What grades you this afternoon? We're going to uh, take Mr. Thompson with us for a while. We're going to talk to him some more. Mike Thompson was frequently part, part of kind of the family outings and things like that. He kind of held himself out to be a family spokesperson if needed. You're here, and you're not hearing anything. It's frustrating. And for Donna, it's more frustrating than the rest of us. Especially on a high-profile crime, we've got someone trying to actively insert themselves into the investigation. One of the first reasons I want to know is why. One of the things that we learned in interviewing Mike Thompson is that he also drove a black truck. I've got a black truck, so, you know, they automatically, they have to live. I welcome the, the opportunity to, uh, you know, do whatever is necessary to show them that they're looking in the wrong direction. On the same day of January 15th, 1996, day three of her disappearance. Got a, certainly a group of potential suspects that we've identified and people that we're checking on, but whether one of those is an actual suspect or not, it's too early to say. When Amber was abducted, there were a lot of people coming in and going, and I was just kind of looking at people, you know, do you know where my baby is? I wanted answers. I wanted my baby back home. Is Mike here? Yeah. Police are still talking with family and friends. Most recently, Mike Thompson, Amber's father, stays with Thompson, who also drives a black pickup truck. Now, how do you know Richard and Donna? I mean, we've just always been not just a working relationship, but, you know, our friendship develops, and, uh, you're there for each other. When you heard the description was a black truck, did you did you suddenly have direction of, oh, how, why did it have to be a black truck? And everybody's focusing on it now, but you know, I got people, oh, there's a black truck. I'm going, the funny part about it, when I first got here on the scene, the first thing, Saturday afternoon, there's cops all over here. And I never once questioned, I never once asked about my black truck, never, until sometime late Sunday. 
Mike Thompson drove a delivery truck that delivered auto parts. And every time he made a delivery, there was a timestamp. And on January the 13th, he was 30 minutes, 45 minutes away. The other part about it was Mike Thompson was friends with Richard. If he wanted to get Amber in the car with him, all he had to do would have been just pull up and ask her. Had it been someone that she knew, why did a bliss attack? There was no attempt at all to engage Amber in conversation, according to Jimmy Cutting. That's another reason why we believe that it was a stranger, someone that was unknown to Amber. This type of abduction is rare. And of course, on one hand, that's good because it, you know, it means the community is a little safer. But on the other hand, the case incensed the community. This took over pretty much every aspect of the city and community. It was all about Amber. It wasn't just her neighborhood. It was the entire city, just covered in pink bows. You saw them all over trees and street signs. It was all anyone could talk about. The community really cared about my little girl and what happened to her. The waiting's really killing me. It's hard to wait. But I know I have to keep strong for my little girl. I hope she's OK and she can come back real soon. We, we all miss her a lot. How could they not see something like how busy this street is? You see the fear in their eyes, and as a detective, as an investigator, as a police officer, it's very frustrating because you want to be able to take that fear away. You want to be able to solve that crime. Okay, now January 16th. 1986. Day four of Amber. My apologies for the noise in the background because he's yelling, my brother. But, um, day four of Amber Hagger Hagger Hagerman's disappearance. Sorry, I didn't mean to butcher her name. Or her last name. For that matter. I don't want that thing back in. We knew that a task force needed to be formed that could control the leads and tips as far as making sure that each one was looked at, but again, not doubling the effort. We were a freestanding task force. We had 15 detectives that they had dedicated to us. I needed people who were very good at interview and interrogation, who had a very strong attention to detail. They didn't let little things slip by them. And I needed people that did not know the meaning of the word quit. While we were still looking for Amber, these teams of detectives and FBI agents were going out contacting registered sex offenders. This unit that has come to town has a tremendous amount of expertise in child abduction cases, and that is why they're here. We assume that because she was nine years old, it was a female, that there's a sexual component to this, and that's what drove the investigation. We started looking at sex offenders who had offended against girls in the age range of 7 to 12. And then you expand out from there. We actually mapped this out on a grid to make sure that we contacted every resident, if possible. When we interviewed people, we'd find out, do they live there with family? Is it a single male that lives there alone that could potentially be a suspect? We have every reason to believe that this individual may have committed this crime before. 
you have a, a high risk grab right there in the middle of that parking lot. You know, in, in my mind, I just kind of felt like maybe he had done this before. And of course, it was also a concern that he might do it again in the future. And we're just trying not to give up hope and trying to be strong for Amber. Would she be willing to talk to me? You don't have the, the luxury of dismissing anything. Every lead had to be looked at, no matter how far-fetched or improbable that it was. I remember helicopters overhead. I remember officers with dogs going through the park. Every time they got one of those tips and they went out, you were like, okay, is this it? Are they finally going to find her? And I think they're working as hard as they can, and I think they're doing all they can to get Amber home. Give them peace. Give them hope that it will end. All right, this is good. A happy reunion. I didn't know what to do. All I knew I wanted to do was get my little girl home. I worried about her the whole time. You know, is she going to get fed? Is she being taken care of? Is she warm? Is she cold? days go on, the hours go on, and you don't have to know much about child abduction statistics to know that every second works against you. Not just every minute or every hour, but every second works against you. The chances of finding a child alive diminish dramatically as time goes on. Okay, there's another number one caller. Says an Arlington 911 would be reporting. Um, the caller's like, Yes, ma'am, my neighbors are yelling right now. They're saying they found the little girl, the body that they're looking for. Okay, this is now January 17th, 1986, day five. Steve, this spring-like thunderstorm came through and dropped the temperature. I mean, for as warm as it was, it turned off just bitterly cold out of the north. But as the front moved through, which it does typically in Texas, when cold air meets warm air, we have bad, bad storms. What apartment complex is this? Dispatch informed me that a body had been found in Arlington. I was the first investigative person that was on the scene. Patrol was there and crime scene was there. We don't know that much at this point and we want to be very, very cautious about the information that we're putting out. I walked down to the creek bed and I noticed a young white female's body 
that was floating but was caught up in the brush. The police are saying it's too hard to tell, you know, who knows her. My husband's ribs is a female. She's naked, she's butt naked, she's face down, who's her female. investigator on the Amber Hageman case been called here? Well, I mean, he's, a, he's the, one of our lead homicide investigators, and, uh, you know, we're certainly, uh, we're, we're certainly sensitive to the fact that uh, we've located a, a body that, that uh, needs to be identified. I mean, I don't want to, you know, alarm anyone at this point, but we're certainly sensitive to the fact that, that, that it could be Amber, and we're, we're just not in a position to say yet. Has the family been notified in any way? Uh, we have people en route over to the, to the residents now to notify them that we have located a body. My name is Darylyn Perryman, and I was the victim assistance coordinator for the Arlington Police Department during the Amber case. I go into the house and touch base with the family. I had been given instructions that we weren't going to be able to positively identify the child that was found until they completed the crime scene investigation. I had been with the family all day, and I got in bed, and I, I had hardly touched the sheets before the phone rang. And I picked up the phone, and it was my assistant news director, and he said, Pam, they found a body. So I immediately headed back to the house and went straight in with my photographer. all really watching the news and they kept talking about this little body they found. So Edie Coker and her husband who found the body, Stuart Coker, are at least themselves convinced that what he saw was the body of a young girl. Police are not so convinced. So we sat in their living room and they had the news on all night long. It was over and over and over. A child's body's been found. It's probably Amber. It's probably Amber. And so you can imagine how agonizing that was to just sit there and listen to that. We interrupt this program to bring you the following news a special report. Arlington Police Department came to the house this evening to tell the family that a body had been found. Amber's father also is here at the house with a family. I was watching this on the news in my parents' home with my parents. And that was hard. My friend uh, who has been here throughout the whole ordeal, as well as Amber's mother, uh, who's looking quite distraught. It was an excruciating night. And though I'm wasn't her family i felt like i understood and i was having some of those same emotions i didn't want it to be her nobody did was the little girl riding her bike and then a black pickup pulled up next to her and yanked her off that bike i was in contact with mike simons and he said it was probably amber but we needed to be sure and we didn't want to tell them until we confirmed that it was actually her so I talked to the family. I explained that to them. Well, at this point, I'm telling you guys, they're going to rest. If you need to just close your eyes for a couple of minutes, that's going to help a little bit. I was there for several hours, and then my pager went off. 
and I went out to the car. I did have a cell phone, and Mike Simon said, yes, you know, we've, we've identified it's her. Um, they ad identified some birthmarks. And then he said, and you have five minutes to tell the family before we announce it to the media. right now um donna she was Wait, she was crying her mom and and dad were screaming and yelling and crying that they identified the body and that it was their granddaughter so but you can't hear it because it's very distant crying and screaming and yelling there was a, a scream and a cry that I will never forget. That was really, really hard. You know, just looking at my mom and my dad crying and my dad never cries.
homicide. First order of business, you shift into high gear, thinking, okay, what have we got? It started off Saturday. Now we're over here on Thursday. We found Amber dead in this creek three miles away. Why? So right now we're pulling into the apartment complex and we're going towards the creek that runs north and south along the west side of the apartment complex. The first time that I came out here, it made me realize that the suspect must have known that this apartment complex and the creek were here. It just doesn't seem likely that a suspect would just randomly drive into this complex and then just happen upon a creek to leave her body in. The night that Amber's body was found, there were thousands and thousands of gallons of water that washed over her body. Based on the condition of her body, we think that she was put in very close to, if not exactly where her body was found. There were not injuries or anything like that that would be indicative of her traveling a long way in the water, hitting rocks, hitting branches, and all the things that you would expect to see if she had been put in the water a long ways from where she was found. It was a large apartment complex, and there was a main gate. To the west of that main gate, there was another entrance. It, too, had a gate. At the time of Amber's abduction and her recovery, that gate was broken. So there was unfettered access into and out of the apartment complex through that gate. There was a video camera at the main entrance. On the night that Amber's body was recovered, the wind and the rain was shaking the camera and took visibility down to where we couldn't see very well. You can see vehicles coming and going, and you do see a dark truck that enters the complex but the video just wasn't clear enough to be able to determine whether or not that was the suspect vehicle. There was nothing on that video that we could use to identify a suspect. One of our beliefs was that the suspect was familiar with not only the abduction site, but the disposal site as well. And that's another one of the reasons why we believed that he was probably a local resident. portion that, that was submerged was, was from her shoulders up and maybe an arm. Stuart Watcher was the person that was watching that was walking their dog and saw the body. Saw Amber's body in the water and notified his wife. And so I ran back to the house and uh, went through the front door and and tell them why Vidi, I found her, I found Amber. Stuart Coker was the witness that found Amber's body that night. His statement was that after the storm had passed through the area that he took his dog out for a walk. His dog went down to the creek bed area and began barking. Then he saw Amber's body. And because there had been so much coverage of Amber being missing and everybody trying to find her. His immediate thought was, that's probably her. You ask all sorts of questions like, 
Did you talk to anybody while you were going out to go on this walk? What did you do before that? If he was involved in it, then obviously you're worried about what happened from the abduction time to the discovery of the body. There wasn't anything in his story that was inconsistent. He was finally eliminated by a polygraph. We're just going to question people, see what they saw, what they observed. We began a canvas. Multiple FBI agents, and we had multiple Arlington PD detectives there. We want to know who the maintenance people are, who is doing the landscaping in the department, what independent contractors they have. We went door to door. Before it was over with, we were at every single apartment in that complex. We didn't find any additional witnesses. No one admitted to seeing anyone parking and carrying anything down through the playground into the culvert area, either that night or any of the days leading up to that. I didn't believe that that was Amber. I said, that's not my baby. My baby's not dead. You know, I want to go see my daughter. Take me to my little girl. I want to hold my little girl. I want to see for myself, with my own eyes, this is my little girl. And they kept telling me, no, I can't, because they had to do the autopsy. And then she was so disfigured, so they had to cover her wounds up. So I wouldn't see that. And they said I didn't want to see her the way she was. I told him, you know, I don't care. I want to see my little girl. I want to hold my little girl. So I didn't get to see her or hold her until the next day. And they took me to the funeral home. I got to kiss her and hold her hand and told her that everything's okay. Your mommy's here. So they told me I could hold her hands and touch her little face, and that was it. But I so wanted to, you know, pick her up. <laughs> Amber had a um, very severe uh, laceration to her throat from one side to the other. Um, it was a, a very severe cut, very violent cut. You've got all this damage to her throat, the neck area, but not necessarily a tremendous amount of damage elsewhere on the body. One of the things that we saw right away was that there was no indication of a sexual assault to Amber's body. Just because there's not evidence of a sexual assault doesn't mean that there was not a sexual component to it. You can't escape at least the theory that the act of killing Amber was what provided a sexual release for the suspect. There were some very, very early signs of decomposition that were identified that would be more consistent with the idea of her being killed Tuesday going into Wednesday. There was no signs of torture. There was no signs of restraint. No defensive wounds that we could see. Question now becomes, all right, where would she have been kept alive? Who did this? How did he hang on to it?
we wonder what kind of monster could commit such a horrible deed. Well over 2,000 people showed up to her funeral. It was standing room only. There were so many people there because this had just touched the community like you can only imagine. It just so overwhelming. And, and as a mom, you're trying to grieve for your little girl. Traffic and some people that were seen in the area. 
calls coming in on a regular basis of people that thought they'd seen or thought they'd seen the suspect. Now, those leads range from everything from I saw a black pickup to specific suspects that were named right away. There was a woman that came forward and said that she had seen the entire abduction. The witness went so far as to describe the Ford Splash as well as a partial license plate number that she thought she remembered and she saw Amber in the passenger seat of this truck and Amber was banging on the back window like she was asking for help. We really hadn't had any good leads and a woman came forward though at that point and said she had a partial license tag. Because she gave a much more specific description of the pickup truck. We developed a whole investigative strategy that was kind of based around what she said. Everybody on the task force is excited. We finally got the detail that will lead us to the suspect. At that point in time, we had been working with the Ford Motor Company, and they came up with a list of potential trucks with a partial plate that had been sold in this geographic area that matched that general description of that truck. Detectives end up finding a potential suspect, and he actually lives in Arlington within the range of where the suspect would have gone. My hopes were really up high, and finally we're going to get justice for Amber, and we can close this chapter, and it's all going to be done with. Now we think we finally got the break that we need. Man cooperated and let detectives search his house, and there was nothing whatsoever to indicate that he was a suspect in it. After this happened, the detectives went back to contact the witness and basically go over the whole story again with her. And they started putting two and two together and it just wasn't adding up the information that she was providing us really wasn't matching what we had been able to corroborate we interviewed her again and then she finally admits to us that she didn't know anything and she just made it up she made the story up because she felt so bad for donna and the lack of a break in the case that she just wanted to do anything that she could to help her and I know how that sounds, but for some reason, this lady thought that this would be helpful to Donna and make Donna more hopeful that a suspect was going to be found. She thought that giving us that type of information might spur us on some sort of renewed energy into the investigation. But instead, what she did was she cost us time and she cost us manhours. And quite frankly, she pissed me off. We had a lot of people that would come up with false information just to bring Amber's case back up. It was very frustrating, not just for me, for the police as well. Prosecuting her for making a false statement wasn't going to help us any. I want to keep everybody focused on Amber. We felt very early on that it was a stranger abduction. You know, every sign pointed to that. We begged for someone to come forward that knew anything. Just another tool in the toolbox, trying to use it to get some help. Everything that happened along the way was just a step-by-step -step situation where we were just frustrated at every turn. 
it, it was tough. It was very tough. A couple of weeks after I buried Amber, I just assumed, you know, you're the police. You're going to solve this. You're going to be able to come and tell me who murdered and who butchered my little girl. And there was just no evidence. How do you feel about the fact that they haven't found somebody? I'm frustrated and angry. You know, why can't they find this man? How hard can this be, you know? Of course, I was frustrated and angry because I couldn't find my little girl. And now I'm frustrated and angry because I can't find him that did this to her. Dawn, I became convinced that whoever took Amber had done something like this or similar to this before and it just angered her that they were still out there and that they could have done it again from the moment that amber was abducted and the anguish donna was going through over the course of time she turned that into a drive a sense to make a difference and to give the police greater tools not every family that has an abducted child will then turn their energy into advocacy. Donna was going to fight for Amber, and she was going to make sure that this would not happen to any other child. City council meetings were all about Amber. You would have hundreds of people going up there wanting to talk. School board meetings, the same thing. There's 77 million parents out there who want their children to be safe. All we have to do is organize. All we have to do is work together. All we have to do is send a message. And then things will Donna, her life is open to the public, period, at this point, because of what happened. I'm fighting for Amber. I know she's gone now. It's not going to help Amber, but it will help her friends. It will help all the other children. The important thing as we followed this path that really had been set out for us was that we tell what it was really like to live through something like this. It's usually very personal, but Donna was willing to share that with everybody. This is Donna Whitson. abducted I was going to medical school so I took a leave of absence I had to finish for her and I did you see her going from devastating grief of losing that child and dealing with that reality to the other end of the spectrum and was able to continue on for Amber Why is it taking so long? It shouldn't take that long, you know. Why can't you find this black truck? Why can't you find this monster? Strategy wise, we've got some more things that we're gonna try. We'll be getting some of the subcontractors and we'll get very residential on it. 
Yay, Porter. All right. Uh, the whole room was just packed full of stuff about the Ember's case. And it's like, yeah, wow, this is overwhelming. You call it Lady Over Dallas? Oh, yeah, I'm excited about that. And we're going to name it after my daughter, the Amber's clan. I think it's great. When Amber was taken, a lot of people said, if we could have just gotten the word out, there would probably be a better chance that she could have been found. It is the desperate search for this little nine-year-old, and time is of the essence. And so tell everybody in the community this has happened. Give them information, the photographs, the video. Here's the suspect vehicle. And then really engage to get everybody to help search. I think that was in a lot of people's minds is, can we do this? How can we do this? And how can we put that into action? Deanna Simone was one of those people who could see that that was a good possibility. I am Deanna Simone, and I am resident of Fort Worth, Texas. I rarely, if ever, watch the news, but the TV was on, and uh, as I passed by it, I noticed what appeared to be somebody's home video was on. There's such a different emotional reaction when you see a child opening presents and riding a bike and waving and smiling than you do just a flat picture. This child becomes very real to you. Then to hear this horrifying situation had taken place, you just immediately think what her mother must be feeling. In Amber's case, she was taken around four o'clock. It was six or half past six when I saw it. So two and a half hours had already passed before the public became aware of what was going on. I called the radio station and I said, I'm calling about the Amber Hagerman case. And she said, do you have any information? And I said, no, I don't, but I do have an idea. So often when children were being taken, it was by a suspect in a vehicle. Put the child in the vehicle, they drive off. So wouldn't it be great if there was a way to let everybody know about it so that they could be your eyes and ears on the street looking for that suspect vehicle, looking for that suspect, looking for that child? Arlington police and this group of radio station managers ended up getting together and formulating this plan for this emergency broadcast alert that they would put out. And it would have a loud, obnoxious sound. It was going to go out on the radio stations and would alert people that there had been a child abduction, give them information like where did it happen, um, what does the suspect look like, what is the suspect driving. It's so simple and bright because the whole idea is to be able to get out to the public information that they can use to provide us with actionable intelligence. A description of suspect, description of vehicle, license plate, something that they could work with. It's a real partnership. It's a partnership between law enforcement and broadcasters to work together when time is critical on a serious child abduction Yay. case. Today we're unveiling the Amber Plan. And I encourage all radio stations to participate in this because it is a great idea. It will get information out that we need to get our little girl, our little boy home. Some staggering percentage of people had their radio on when they were in the car. And so we thought if we could get it across all the radio stations, Dallas forward, just think how many eyes we'd have up looking for kids. And so it just worked like a charm as far as getting people to say yes. And then Rayleigh Bradbury comes home.
We got a call that there was a missing baby by the name of Ray Lee. We are living in Arlington throughout my whole pregnancy. I knew everybody. This is Patricia Sobosky. This is Rayleigh's mother. Again, Patricia Sobosky. So go Lowski. So go Lowski. Rayleigh's mother. My apologies for butchering her name. Oh, last name. I loved everybody, and I had this little lady. She's cute as could be. Her name was Sandra Paulus. I thought of her as a friend, and I trusted her. So that's why I felt like that it was a good choice that I let her become my babysitter. I dropped her off that morning in a little onesie, nighty, and then her diaper bag full, and then just do a normal eight-hour workday. And then when evening came time and the babysitter was supposed to show up with her, she, they didn't show up. I didn't think she was kidnapped. That's not a word that I would even associate. <laughs> None of the local hospitals had heard of any wrecks or anything like that. And then finally, I just decided to call 911. I'm like, my babysitter hasn't brought my baby home. Basically, a police came up, and he was, like, taking the report and stuff. And we started talking about, well, is this, is this the time we should do this? We felt like, okay, you know, something's got to happen. we got to get this baby back. I remember calling the police chief. I'm getting ready to do this. And they're like, we're going to use this thing called the Amber Alert. This is an activation of the Amber Alert System at the request of the Arlington Police Department. Arlington Police say a child, a two-month-old white female baby, has been kidnapped. The baby's name is Rayleigh Ann Bradbury. Police believe the victim was abducted by her babysitter, Sandra Joyce Fallis, a white female, 42 years of age, 5'3", 135 pounds, with black hair, brown eyes, and driving a turquoise 1993 Ford Ranger splash pickup truck. It literally was like 30 minutes. Then we got the call. That was awesome. You and me and my mom, we just kind of looked up in heaven and said, 
You did it, girl. I've said how much Amber Hagerman has meant to me, and it's true to this day. I wouldn't be here without her. I used to call her my guardian angel. I used to pray to her, just like little prayers, like, thank you for this day. Like, thanks for watching over me. Every time I hear Amber, I say to myself, it's time to go to work, sis. Do your thing. I just wish that Amber had something in place at the time. It's bittersweet. What if we had an Amber alert when Amber was missing? Could it have saved her life? Once other areas across the country heard about the program, they said, well, we're going to set one up in our town. Within weeks of us activating Amber, I was receiving calls and other people were receiving calls from around Texas and from around the United States on, okay, how do you do this? I would walk them through the process that we went through in developing the relationships with their uh, radio stations and actually putting it in place and getting it up and running. We have a critical time that we have to get this information out to galvanize the community, to get their ears and eyes looking everywhere for the child, for the vehicle. It was exciting to see the programs popping up around the country. And it was in 2000 that the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children said, you know what, we should take this national. And then to just see it, I mean, just explode. It just becomes just this phenomenon and, and it works. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States President Bush signed on and said, you know, I support this. And he designated a national Amber Alert coordinator at the Department of Justice. Amber Hageman, whose mom is with us today. A good Texan, I might add. Was nine years old when she was taken away from her parents. We're acting today in her memory and in the memory of so many other girls and boys who lost their lives in innocence and acts of cruelty. And now it is my honor to sign the PROTECT Act of 2003. That was sort of the crowning moment, and I get chills, because everybody's work had paid off. It was nerve-wracking, but I was still really proud because the president is talking about my little girl. And I was able to talk to him about my little girl and what happened to her. Donna really evolved. She turned her grief and anger into advocacy. She's been a champion of the Amber Alert program the entire time. And she knows that, you know, this is her daughter's legacy. Tragedy struck this community January 13, 1996. Our resolve to solve this case has not wavered. Anytime there's an anniversary of her abduction and murder, and there's a press conference or a memorial, 
we have a bunch of community members come out in support of the family. This case is personal to me because I've been involved in some aspects since the day that Amber was abducted. In 2010, I became the lead detective, and I had the case from then until 2018 when I promoted to sergeant. At that time, Detective Grant Gildon took over as the lead detective. Actually, I was a sophomore in high school when, when this case happened. And I remember hearing of the Amber Alert and that it was named after a young girl that was kidnapped and, and murdered. It wasn't until I was applying with the Arlington Police Department that I became aware that the case originated in Arlington, Texas. I saw just how passionate they were about trying to solve Amber's case. Then it, it really struck me that that was something I wanted to help contribute to. The figure we gave of 5,500, that's the number of leads the Amber Hagerman Task Force investigated between February of 96 and June of 97. Current today, we've investigated over 7,000. The 25th year anniversary is just another year with, with no answers, no justice. And we want that change. We want justice. That's our goal. That's, that's what we need. Our family needs closure. One of the major um, issues with a case that is a long-term case like this is that, you know, people forget about it. But Amber's killer is out there somewhere. years of course it gets frustrating at times because we want to solve the case and we want answers for Amber's family but as homicide detectives we never let that frustration get to us to the point of quitting recently there was some new technology that I became aware of that we thought was relevant to some of the evidence that we've maintained in this case We've started to discuss the possibility of testing some of the evidence we have that we hope can produce DNA in this case. With Amber, there is just not much trace evidence at all. The main question when determining what evidence to test and what kind of testing to do is thinking about the quantity of the evidence and whether or not you're going to use up or consume all of the potential DNA while doing the testing. Is it worth the risk of destroying all the evidence in the testing process? Or is it something we should wait a few months um, to test because of the advancements in the technology that are taking place very rapidly? The motivating factor for me is thinking of Amber's mother and also Amber's brother uh, and, and how he has grown up and just wanting answers from that day. I believe that the person who kidnapped and murdered Amber Hagerman is still alive. If we continue to work this case, we will be able to bring them to justice. I also believe there are people out there who know the details about what happened. That's why we continue to take every lead and investigate it as thoroughly as possible in hopes that one of these leads will eventually lead us to the killer.
Okay, as far as we know from this documentary, that's what it's saying on the screen right now. Arlington detectives are currently working on with a private lab to determine if DNA technology have, has advanced enough to test some of the evidence from Amber's case. They still have not decided if this is the right time. This is my daughter, little Gracie Renee Eggerman. So we gave her Amber's middle name, Renee. She was actually born uh, on the same day as Amber, November 25th, and in the same hour. My son is happy. I want to cry every time I see my son because he is so happy. He is in a good place now. It makes my heart good to see him happy. So life is okay now. February 20th. February 2022. 26 years after the final day of filming. It's so good to see you too. There was a little bit of nervousness about how she would feel and I would feel after so long a time. But when I saw her, it was one of those situations where you felt like no time had passed away at all. But it's such an honor to have been a part of what happened and where we are today. And I know that, that Donna wants to continue to look at that. Every time a child is saved, that makes a difference to her. And it makes a difference to me, too. The main reason why I'm doing this documentary today is to kind of let people know what kind of little girl Amber was. She's always helping other little children and, and taking care of children. And she always took care of her little brother. So this is just another way for her to do that. She's still doing what she loves. She was not just a victim. She was my daughter. She was somebody. She is somebody still today. And then in the end of the documentary, it shows the Emperor different news outlets from NBC News and different news outlets that the Amber Alert has helped many different families find their children after being abducted or kidnapped. Now that we know what happened to Amber Hangerman, I feel deeply sorry, but she has made impact on every single goddamn child in the 50 within the 50 states and 30 plus countries including puerto rico is one of them so the amber alert has helped many kids and i don't want to be the one to cry but that's amazing and that's amazing because i when i went to texas state 
to visit and see amazing places in Texas. Oh my god. When we landed, I got an Amber Alert that someone has been abducted. A child has been abducted. And it was reported that they were sexual assault, sexually assaulted by a male. And I was like, oh my god. This is bad. And, and they said to myself, I hope that child's okay. I hope they're alright. <clears throat> because I don't want... I don't like to see children hurt. Or anything badly harmed. But... Now Amber is in heaven. We still don't know. The Arlington poli police... The detectives are still on her case. Her case is still a cold case, but they're still working on it. Especially with the files of everything because they have two bookshelves of binders different binders with different labels on them with the same case but with different information because again they had 7,000 tips come in so those all 7,000 tips that came in were reported and put it into binders so if I were them the Arlington detectives I would look through those tips and go through them again and take note of some of them that come in of some importance to them. So that way, they could, they could solve her case. Because that mother, Donna, she's still looking for answers. Even her brother, Ricky, is still looking for answers. We are all still for answers honestly if I would have met her she would have been 36 this year she would have been 36 this year the poor girl I feel so bad I had it good when I was younger when I was her age I had it good and I just feel so bad for the family and I and my brother oh my god my brother he is like 10 years old and I feel like he's gonna be like one of those children that get kidnapped in Texas and I don't want that to happen to him because that killer that killed Amber Heron Heron Command is still out there and we don't know where he is because we know it's a male it's not a female we know it's male so again like I said from the beginning if you have any information call Arlington police and my heart goes out to the family again this year marks 26 years of her death it marks 26 years of her death Amber I hope you're doing okay up there I hope you can see what amazing things you have achieved because of how your kindness is never taken for granted 
while helping finding these children safe and secure. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Talk to you guys in the next one. Bye.